Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, um, this is the last class in this year's uh, Vipassana Structured Study of Introspective Insight into the Three Marks of Existence, the, the foundation of the Buddha's Dhamma. We've had about 40 classes in total. Uh, I don't know exactly how many. Um, on 33 now different uh, subjects and suttas. And they all um, culminate in this one. I don't know, I can't even answer why I didn't include this in the first uh, two times around. Uh, but this sutta, the Upada Sutta, will be included in the book as the close, closing chapter because it puts um, a real nice cap on what we've all learned in the past uh, 40 or so classes. Um, and it all... Um, all of the Buddha's Dhamma resolves in a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. Um, and it's something that the Buddha obviously emphasizes in this sutta, but emphasizes the importance of wise associations throughout his, uh, his teaching, throughout his dispensation. And what he means when he's using the term wise uh, associations is especially within Dhamma practice, that we associate our Dhamma practice with other like-minded people who are practicing an authentic and skillful Dhamma. Um, the curious thing to me about this, I have to put some thought to it, is why did the Buddha place such emphasis on wise associations and the importance of a well-informed and well-focused Sangha when he didn't have any of those in order, in order to develop his own awakening? Uh, he had unwise associations and he had no Sangha. What he did eventually develop was a group of five other uh, friends that they all kind of uh, contributed to their own conditioned thinking. Um, and they fed off of that. And it wasn't until Siddhartha Gautama left those other five friends and went uh, and found his own um, uh, seclusion, his own empty hut, was he able to develop understanding. So again, why did he place the emphasis on wise associations and a well-informed sangha when he didn't have either one of those because he understood it was a whole hell of a lot easier to do it that way. In fact, the, the Buddha understood, he, he never saw himself as, as an, uh, an extraordinary human being, meaning having supernatural powers, but he did understand the, um, the uniqueness of his own awakening and that no one else had done it up until that point, and he speaks to that in different suttas. Um, and so really, this, this constantly coming back to wise associations and the importance of a well-informed Sangha uh, is just that, because he realizes that it makes it much more um, expedient for all of us to develop the Dhamma when we're doing it with other well-informed uh, and like-minded people. So let me get to the Sutta. Uh, this is the Upada Sutta. <coughs> On one occasion, the Buddha was staying with the Sakyans in Saqqara. Venerable Ananda had a question for his teacher and his cousin. He approached the Buddha, bowed and sat to one side. He asked, is it true that having admirable people as friends, companions, 
and colleagues is half of the well-integrated life. A well-integrated life means, in, in, in this context, is any life that is integrated with the Eightfold Path, a well-integrated life. The Buddha responds, don't ever say that, Ananda. Having admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues is the whole of the well-integrated life. So what does he mean by that? Of course, not just being part of a Sangha is not the whole of a well-integrated life. I was a part of, of dozens of Sanghas, and I never learned one thing about what the Buddha actually taught. It wasn't until um, a well-informed and well-focused Sangha was formed within my own mind, meaning to be focused only on what the Buddha taught, did it start having some relevancy. But I can tell you that the depth of my understanding of what the Buddha taught would not have been possible for me to develop without being part of the Sangha. And I don't mean just being the teacher. I really do mean being a part of the Sangha and contributing my part while also learning greatly from all of you. Uh, and and that's, that's the importance of a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. For one thing, even when the Buddha was alive, he never held himself out as the, the, the absolute head of the Dhamma. He was recognized as the one who awakened, the first one to do it. But he very quickly established a, um, a non-hierarchical, um, uh, you could call them assistant teachers, as quickly as he could. And that's something we've done here, too. You know, you could, you could almost say that the Cross River Meditation Center is a bit top-heavy with teachers, but that just shows the broad base that we do have. And, and again, we're following what the Buddha taught. The Buddha continues, the practitioner of my Dhamma, who has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues, they can now be expected to avoid distraction arising from unskillful associations, and pursue and fully develop the Noble Eightfold Path. That's the reason why we need it to be a part of a well-informed and well-focused Sangha, because every one of us at different times in our Dhamma practice has, excuse me, has doubted our practice, felt the conditioned response to abandon it or stick with something that we're familiar with or that our friends are doing, even though we, we intuitively know that it's not the right thing, it's just the easier, more familiar way. But when we're part of a Sangha, when we know next Tuesday, next Saturday, next Thursday, I'll be going to class with, with my Sangha, knowing what that entails, and also accepting your own responsibility to be well-focused and well-informed, all supports developing the Dhamma in a way that's not possible without this. The Buddha continues, Listen carefully, Ananda, and I will tell you precisely how a practitioner of my Dhamma who has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues, avoids distraction and pursues and fully develops the Noble Eightfold Path. So just like the Anapanasati Sutta that we just finished, this is another sutta where the Buddha is clearly showing this is what Dhamma practice looks like. This is how you do it. Nothing is ever left up to faith or conjecture or my own um, desires or proclivities as to how I'd like Dhamma practice to be. Uh, you might have to pick this up, Ron. Just keep, stay up with me. Uh, the, the charge isn't working. This Dhamma practitioner... This Dhamma practitioner develops right view, that, and that right view is dependent on seclusion. Dependent on, dependent on seclusion means it's dependent on jhana meditation, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation, 
that all results in relinquishment. Relinquishment from what? Relinquishment from clinging to views ignorant of four noble truths. That's what, that's what continues stress and suffering. They also develop right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. All dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation, that results in relinquishment. Again, the Buddha is just bringing the whole path right back to that, to that one point. This is how a practitioner of my Dhamma, who has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues, avoids distraction and pursues and fully develops the Noble Eightfold Path. The Buddha continues, It is only through fidelity to my Dhamma that one may know, meaning that we're giving ourselves the, the foundational permission, it has to be there, to actually develop the Dhamma. We have to do it for ourselves. Let me read it again. It is only through, through fidelity to my Dhamma that one may know that having admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues is actually the whole of a well-integrated life. What does that mean? Again, Ehephasiko. It's not by the Buddha saying you must be a part of a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. You must actually have that experience because it is the experience that, that gives you the, the assurance that, yes, I, I need to be a part of a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. I must have well-informed and admirable friends as colleagues within that Dhamma if I am to develop the Dhamma. And again, you develop that assuredness from your own experience. The Buddha continues, It is first in dependence on me, meaning as an example, not as the Buddha who's going to grant you something, as me, as an admirable friend, that those being subject to birth gain release from being subject to birth, that those being subject to aging gain release from being subject to aging, that those being subject to sickness gain release from being subject to sickness, that those being subject to death gain release from being subject to death. What does the Buddha mean here? When the Buddha describes the stress of ignorance, he describes it simply that way. Birth is stressful. Simply as a consequence of having a human life, if we're ignorant of what that human life constitutes, which we are, there will be stress and suffering. It's, it's just that simple. So the resolution is wisdom and understanding developed through the Eightfold Path. It is independence on me as an admirable friend that being subject to sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and, dis and despair have gained release from sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. The Buddha is again referring to the, the, the need for taking refuge and what that really means, which is what we're getting into next week. What true refuge really means. So stay tuned. From those that have gained release in this manner, in this manner, the way that he describes, from dependence on me, can one know how having admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues is actually the whole of a well-integrated life. Again, in other words, in order to know it, you have to experience it. The inference and I would say not even the inference, the clear direction is, if you're going to practice something else, you can't expect to get the benefits of this practice. I think that's the end of the sutta. I just want to make sure. Yes. Yep, that's the end of the sutta. Thank you. Um, let's go on, online first, and we'll uh, 
see what you think and what you got out of it. Brian, you were first online today. How are you? Good, John. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I just, going back to when, when you invited me into the Sangha uh, a few months ago, and it's just been a remarkable experience getting to, to know and listen to everybody and how that's just all helped to integrate my own experience and path and, and understanding of the Dhamma and continue to refine and, and iterate and um, I feel so I thank you to, to you and, and to everybody. Well, Brian, and, and thank you because as you know and as everybody else here now knows, you brought so much to the Sangha as well. And even, uh, you've been very open about uh, developing the Dhamma and that's been so helpful to, to all of us, including me. So thank you for being a part of our Sangha. Jen, good morning. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Um, so whenever I read suttas like this, I get not, I mean, I often get distracted by the idea that it's, it feels like it's impossible to not have individuals in my life who are not practicing the Dhamma. And that somehow that means that awakening will never happen. Now, I see all of that as I'm making and I see where the clinging is. I see how, you know, it's putting uh, qualifiers on awakening and yep. how all that is, it is, is getting in my way. But, but I'm just putting that out there to explain that that's my experience. And I don't know if anybody else experiences that, but it is, it's distracting. Yeah, thank you, Jen. Everybody experienced it, even the Buddha did. The Buddha described, Siddhartha grew up in a palace. He had everything anybody could ever want. He had power. He had money. He had, his father started bringing him girls when he was very, very young. Um, he learned the, the pleasures of wealth. And as soon as he could, he left it. And, he, and he, throughout his life, he referred to that part of his life as that confining space, even though most people would see you know, all the so-called opportunities. He saw it as his own, his own prison. And that's what, that's what Jen is describing. You know? and, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't the structure of the palace or his, the way his father ruled. It was simply being entangled in the world that was a confining space. And Jen's describing moving out of that in a, in a very um, skillful way. And as, um, as admirable friends, we are also examples of living in the world um, but not being entangled in the world. And that's, that's what we're doing. We're practicing it. The other aspect that Jen is, is alluding to is the choice that we all have to um, continue to stay involved in the world. Uh, and that's an individual choice. Most people, as they develop the Dhamma, their, their um, engagements within the, within the world um, uh, simplify and usually become fewer. In other words, we have less entanglements in the world because we're less conditioned towards entanglements. And it's just nat we naturally start developing a quieter uh, way of living that is also a reflection of a developing, uh, ever-developing uh, level of calm and peace within our minds. Thank you, Jen. Let's go to Becky. Hello, Becky. Thanks for joining us. 
Good morning, everyone. It's nice to be here. Um, I I feel like I feel the same uh, the same way that Jen does when I read this uh, sangha and this uh, sutta. Um, but I don't think that I am able to untangle myself from it as easily as she does. So I guess I just have to keep working on that. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it is a distraction to be um, to hear this this sangha and and try to negotiate the two. Yeah. And I, I find that I'm always wanting my life to get a little bit bigger than it is somehow. And yet when I'm when I'm in a smaller world or when I when I'm when I'm sort of in the world that is most precious to me that's when I'm the most calm mm. so it's a it's a tension yeah yeah there I think yeah, that I didn't really speak to that too but Jen brought that up and you're speaking to it um, when the Buddha is saying we should be we should only have admirable friends he doesn't mean that we shouldn't have we shouldn't associate with people who aren't awakened through his Dhamma and exclude everyone else. Of course he's not saying that, and he didn't live that way. But he did establish a, a Sangha that was separate from the world. And that's it. And we do that here, by the way. We don't, one of the reasons why we don't have a poetry reading the third Saturday of the month is because that, a poetry reading would be wonderful. But it has nothing to do with the Dhamma. So while I want to go to a poetry reading, I go to a poetry reading, but I don't bring it into my Sangha. I don't want it here. Okay, so that... And, and the other aspect of that is um, when we establish ourselves within a sangha and within a, that level of refined mindfulness, as we go out into the world and to those people that we may care the most about but aren't necessarily Dhamma practitioners, we're simply able to be more mindfully present with them. There's less conflict in our lives because, of, because we're Dhamma practitioners and that simply enhances everybody's life. So, of course, the Buddha's not saying... Don't ever go around with anybody unless unless they got a stamp on their forehead that says, you know, the best Dhamma practitioner in the world. We'll be better people for it. But as far as our Dhamma practice is concerned, associate with people that are, and as far as our Sangha is concerned, associate with people that are practicing an authentic Dhamma. David. And I think a, another teaching that brings to mind when like Becky's feeling those feelings it's the it's truly the teaching of the second arrow. The, the conflict and the yep. entanglement is within you. It's not that person who doesn't agree or doesn't know right. about right. the the practice or what you're feeling inside. It's how you develop that ability to not entangle with that reaction to somebody who thinks you're a fool to show up every Saturday. Yeah. and interrupt your, your summers. It, it's the calm that you develop that is the wise association, the association to the Four Noble Truths, not that you can't be with someone who is, you know, 
the total opposite of what you're doing. So I always think about that second arrow, and that's my responsibility. It's not yep. anyone else's. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, David. It's so well said. If, if I'm bothered by my entanglements in the in the world, it's not be, it's not the world's fault, is it? It's my fault because I'm entangled in it. And at, at any time, any time that we try to blame something on anything external to ourselves, we've lost, literally lost our minds because it doesn't, doesn't even make sense, does it? When you, when you understand a Dhamma, nobody else could be to blame for my discontent except me. And that's the first noble truth. That's that. And to some people would say, well, that's, that's not even worth pursuing, eliminating my discontent. Well, of course it is. It's the only thing we have control over. Is The only thing I ever have control over, ever, is the quality of my mind in this present moment. In fact, it's important to say it. I have no control over the quality of my mind in the next moment. I can grasp after that, or I can simply develop a well-concentrated mind and the refined mindfulness that integrates the Eightfold Path, and I can simply be present with life as life occurs. That's what Siddhartha Gautama teaches and what we're developing here. It's what our teachers have talked about so far, uh, Jen and David, but also our, our Sangha teacher, Becky. We've all referred to that same thing. So thank you, Becky. Thank both of you. That was very helpful. Yeah, thank you. It was. Yeah, thank you. Matteo, good morning. Good morning from in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm this light that just... Maybe I'm enlightened. I don't know. Like, That's what I was thinking. It's just, it's just a halo. He's got a, 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 a skylight behind him. It's spinning. Yeah. It's pretty. Well, um, what I can say, like, um, I, I really understand, like, uh, since I joined you guys, that's the really important of the Sangha, because, like, when you think about the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, is pretty clear. But then, again, you know, when you join. My experience during the past other group is like sometimes I really, sometimes I don't feel comfortable when I was in this group because like I was like, oh, what they're talking about. And here is, is very good. I look forward anytime I come because like it's important your your teaching, but then really listen what everybody else has to say and yeah, give motivation. But also like sometimes I change also my my point of view because I think yeah. oh, that's sutra maybe means that, but then I hear all of you and like. Thank you. That, that's just how it should be, too. So. Mary, good morning. Good morning. A lot of uh, wise grasshoppers in the room today. <laughs> um, uh, that was really great. And uh, you can observe the Dhamma meeting Becky where she is right now, right? Yeah. That she's hearing something she needed to hear. I'm in the same um, category of... Um, hearing something that I needed to hear uh, in this moment and the entanglement between you know your real life and the associations and um, and the sangha so I was almost thinking that you almost have to like mentally carry this sangha on your back you yeah. know to, to be with you in those difficult moments where um, you're not seeing clearly or you're experiencing the second arrow, not recognizing your own conflict as the conflict that needs to be addressed as opposed to justifying your reaction to what you think is someone else's 
um, issues. And, and that's what the practice is, that yeah. you close the gaps. You still might go off every now and then, but you close, you come back to your breath faster. The gap between I'm losing my mind because this person said or did something and coming back to your breath and not losing your mind, that gap shrinks. Yeah. And that's how I experience uh, the Dhamma. And I look for, you know, that alignment um, wherever I can. And the more you practice and the better your concentration, the faster that alignment occurs. And I hope someday it's always aligned. And I <laughs> you don't have to go off and I can come back. Um, I can just be with my breath when I'm having those experiences. But um, I really got the image of carrying the whole sangha on my back with me yeah. in my life to allow for more of a thought of integration uh, because it, sometimes it feels like you have two separate lives, the sangha and then this life you're living every day out in the real world. Um, and those two things have to come together. Yeah. Um, for you, I think, and uh, and we just have to keep working at it. Well, well said, Mary. Yeah, that that's you know the ultimate goal is is that there is no separation between the eightfold path and the rest of your life. You know, in other words, the eightfold path is the framework and guidance for your entire life, and that's what we're all developing. It. it, it this, again, this this particular class is such a good example of the sutta and the taking true refuge. What. What Becky Becky got a lot out of this class, and she brought so much to this class because of what because of her efforts in developing the Dhamma. And, that, and you spoke so eloquently to that, Mary. We all have a responsibility to the Dhamma and to the Sangha, don't we? I mean, if, if you know that it's the only way it can work, and that's not a burden. That's 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 part of uh, joyful engagement with the Dhamma, isn't it? Whatever I learn, I mean, it's a, it's a true. Um, Whatever I learn as far as the Dhamma is a true gift to myself, but it really is a gift to humanity, isn't it? But and more immediately, it's a gift. Any any development of the Dhamma within me is a a development of the Dhamma within the Sangha. Is really what I'm trying to say. And so we're we're all we're all benefiting of this and this and we're looking at it this morning and we're seeing it and it's really remarkable. So thank you, Mary. Karen, good morning. Good to see you. Looks beautiful up there. Grateful to be here. Yeah. So thank you all so much. 
Thank you, Karen. We're all grateful to, that, that you're here and that you, you're, you're such a, a great help to us on our retreats, too. It's coming well, up I soon. Yeah, yeah, I can't either. So, and Again, so it's just a, a great example of the importance of a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, we, what we can bring to Karen and what Karen brings to us. And it's just that way. So let's go to David. Thank you, Karen. Good morning, David. Good morning. I was a person inclined not to be part of any group. In any group I was forced to be part of, I was a fringe non-participant. And I think there's a person here that's been a witness to that over 40 years. And I knew immediately when I was about to start coming that I, I had to fully like, commit to the Sangha. I just understood immediately the importance of that aspect of it. And from a person like Ra, who's here every class, to the person who shows up just once, and you can tell they're never going to come back, mm-hmm. I learn something every time from each one of those people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Karen sandbags a little bit because she's, she doesn't understand how important she is and because she represents every person who has that feeling and Becky represents every person that is worried that they can't just associating with the people they normally do so to me that helps the saga and helps the saga grow and that's what it is it's support Buddha knew that there's not going to be thousands of other Buddhas who do it on their own. Yeah. So the Sangha is integral to it. And that's why he admonished and encouraged Ananda to understand that, that it's the whole. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I, you know, um, Karen said something that shouldn't be glossed over. She said that she couldn't learn the Dhamma if she was just listening to me. Mm. I don't think anybody could. And that, it's not because I'm, I'm not the world's most brilliant Dhamma teacher. I probably am. Um, that's because I'm the only one. No, it, 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 the, um, there were people that, that listened to Siddhartha Gautama teach the Dhamma post his awakening, and they didn't get it. You know, some of them even tried to kill him, even his own cousin a few times, David Dada I'm talking about. Um, so it really isn't the uh, having some godlike teacher or even, some, even a, 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 a well-advanced teacher. You just need someone who is practicing the Dhamma you know, and then you need other people practicing the Dhamma, and guess what? You got a Sangha, and you got a Sangha that works. And you have something that is, in, in reality, the most ordinary thing in the world, because all that we're doing is living as human beings. It's, it's the rest of the world that, that isn't. That's, that, that's why there's so much stress in the world, because we're all trying to be something other than what we are. As the Buddha would say, we're all trying to be something other than self. You can't do it. Wrong. John? Um, yeah, as I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm looking back, um, just like you, I've, I've been in other sanghas, and when I came here five, six years ago... Longer than that. Uh, I was looking for a sangha. Yeah. And I remember, I had you and Dale in, came, I think, yeah. on the same, same night. Yeah. Um... And 
it's interesting to see how that developed because I didn't realize what I was walking into here. <laughs> but the attraction was very, very strong. And it, it took me literally years to find out, you know, why that was. Because this is a, a sangha where, um, where the teachings are foremost. You're not, yeah. you know, what's missing here, what, what you find in all the other sanghas, is the grand personalities yeah. and the conflicts that come with that. Um, it, this is like so completely unique to have this here, to have this sangha here. Um, you know, I, and, and, and I knew that the attraction was there, I just didn't understand it. Mm. But it wasn't until I just like, made that commitment again to, 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 be, to be a part of this sangha that, that, it, uh, that it finally clicked. Um, and that's also when I realized that um, I had to seriously contribute to this sangha. That you know, because I just like um, uh, like David. I, I like to be a fringe member of, of, of groups. I don't I don't like being you know a group member. But when you find this sangha, you realize that um, you have to be wholly in it. There's there's no yeah. there, there's really to to get the benefits of of having a a well-informed sangha. You have to fully commit. Yeah. You have to help inform it. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ron. But I would say right from the start, you, you contributed to the sangha. You know, even from the first meeting. Even with, in, in the beginning, in the first couple of years, a lot of it was with your questions. Mm -hmm. But that's just as important because the questions that, like David just said, your questions are the same questions everybody else has. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so important. And it leads to Again, Karen alluded to it. If it was just me, the just the subjects that I could touch on would be so limited, because I can't think of your issues, can mm -hmm. I? Right. You know, but it's it's the things that you're talking about and noticing and developing that become the fodder for our discussion, which broadens the dhamma. And again, it wouldn't happen if it was just me giving just the talk. And no, mm -hmm. that's something else. I, when you first came, um, and I won't say who it was, but it, you you know. There were people that complained about there's too much chatter here. There's too much talking. They didn't want to have the discussions afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I never would consider that. that. It's such an important part of, of a well-informed and well-focused sangha is that we talk about it. How else could you, right. would you develop it? Because you have um, individual contributions without any of them clamoring for attention. Yeah. Again, that's another reason why we just always went around the room. Almost every class, when, as long as we had the time, for that reason. So nobody feels left out, and nobody feels like they gotta they gotta get out there out front to, to show how how much they know, or even to appease the peak the teacher to show the teacher how much you know. It doesn't happen here, because there's no personalities, very little, maybe just mine. But Brad, how are you? Good, <clears throat> good to be here. Um, good to be part of the sauna. Yeah, Ron, definitely not a fringe member. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, uh, I, you know, I think I participate. I, I, I don't okay. do a lot of all 100% of the readings and stuff like that, and I, I, that would probably help me add to the sangha. Um, but, you know, seeking refuge in it and uh, something I probably could look at a little bit deeper, I think, and, you know, I, 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 I am a part of it, and, and uh, you know, it, 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 everybody is important that is here right. and important to me, and that's, that's a real um, resource or what, or what, what, what have you. Um, so it's good to be here and it's good to be part of it. Yeah, I'm glad you are too. But it should be said that we, we, as in all other aspects of Dharma practice, we don't judge ourselves uh, for not doing enough in the Sangha. If we think we sure. should be doing more or could be doing more, we do it. Right. But we don't judge ourselves harshly for not doing it. Thank you, Brett. Good morning, uh, good morning Tim. Good morning. Um, I think I'm not going to say much because I think it'd be just self-serving. No, we've got something good no, to say. No, it'd be, it'd be self-serving. So... Um, but uh, I, I don't see things quite the same way as the Sangha sees it, I will say by that, although I do value um, skillful insight, okay, but let's just say maybe I should just send you an email on, sure. on how I feel, I'd rather not, I'd rather not say it in the Sangha class, okay. so thank you. But it might lead to something important for everyone. No. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Um, in, in a way, I'm fortunate that this is my first and only sangha, so yeah. I didn't have um, other influences maybe that misguided me. Maybe they would have helped and maybe they would have misguided me. I don't know. But I've also been you know, sort of that fringe element for groups, too. And, but I really went, there was like, a, I think the Seiko, once I came and saw and felt, I thought, well, this is it. Um, also, it's it's so interesting to me, and just in this sutta and in all the suttas, well, especially this, you know, there's the sangha, and then there is um, the sort of isolation or the yeah. the individual practice that we have to do that is so isolated or not isolated, but so secluded, secluded, yeah. yeah. And by design, yeah, the sangha has. To the Sangha supports that, yeah. but it really all happens in that seclusion. Um, and it, it's a seeming paradox, but it's really just a, it just fits together. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Kevin. It also points out to the way where human beings should be living in the world, which is sometimes we should be engaged and sometimes we should be secluded. You know, human beings weren't meant to be constantly clinging and attached to the world now we've got you know Facebooks and Twitters and all the rest of it and 24 hour news and everything else and just because it's there doesn't mean that we have to avail ourselves of it we can practice wise restraint you know uh, that's all that's all part of the Dhamma practice too and a well informed Sangha this this thing that we're, David touched on it and a few else did about um, not being one to join a group uh, when I was younger you know, in teenage years, you just start coming of age and getting out in the world. Um, people that interacted with me thought I was uh, shy to a fault. Um, I always figured I was just socially awkward and put it on myself that, you know, I was, I, I was just that way. And the truth of the matter was I had this inherent um, aversion to idle chatter. I just couldn't stand being in a group and talking about 
the weather of baseball or football or whatever else you might want to talk about, or today politics. I just couldn't stand it. And again, I thought, I judged myself because other people said, you know, you're just too shy. Um, this is the first group that I've ever been totally comfortable with right from the beginning. Because it, it's based on something that interests me and that feels like reality. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not part of this group and continuing my eye-making within the group. So it's, it's comfortable and it's natural. Um, and, and again, that's just, that's just it's how I run. I've always been that way. And, and some people feel that way. Um, what I have noticed is that people that have taken to the Dhamma the way it's intended and kind of jump in with both feet as best they can, um, develop the Dhamma a lot quicker. And those that, whether they feel they're participating in the, in the Sangha like, like Ram or not, being part of a Sangha is paramount to developing the Dhamma. Um, there's people that uh, will claim otherwise. Um, there's even, I mean, there's books written about people that go into caves for a dozen years and come out awakened. And uh, in fact, there was a woman that I followed for a while, that, you know, famous for that, um, until I really got into it. And um, I'm going to say it this way. It just wasn't Dhamma practice. I wanted to go any deeper. And again, what I found wasn't, I didn't find a Dhamma practice this vibrant and this effective till it formed as a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. So thank you all for being a part of it. Um, we are going to do three classes on uh, the true meaning of refuge beginning Tuesday. Uh, I'll teach that class. Uh, Ram's going to teach next Saturday and David will conclude that three-class series uh, next Tuesday with the Kalama Sutta. So I hope you can be a part of it, but it just feeds right into that nicely right now. Uh, and we'll finish with uh, Meta as we always do. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. 
This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Peace. Thank you, John. See you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.